Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of Grace Point Church in Atlantic, Iowa. My name is Don McLean. I'm the senior pastor here at Grace Point. If you'd like to know more about our church, you can check us out at gracepointatlantic.com. And in the meantime, grab your Bible and check out this week's sermon. Our scripture reading today is from 1 John chapter 1, verse 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. That's 1 John, verse 5 through 10. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we get to study this passage now, and thank you for the truth that you speak to us here, and I am going to ask, Lord, that you would help help me to communicate it clearly, and that you'd help all of us to hear it, uh, to understand it, and to apply it uh, to our lives, that we might walk in the light and not in the darkness. In Jesus' name, we submit ourselves to you now. Amen. Well, I want to start a little differently today. I want to start with a game. Many of you have played this game, but if you haven't, don't worry, it's easy to learn. Uh, The game is called Two Truths and a Lie. Now, the way the game works is that the person whose turn it is, and we'll have it be my turn, uh, the person whose turn it is makes three statements. They say three things, and usually they're kind of related to each other, so they're kind of associated. And two of the statements are true, and one of the statements is a lie. One of the statements is, is not true. It's false. All right. So that's kind of the, the rules. And then the players, everybody else, uh, gets to uh, guess which one is false. You're supposed to d- identify the false one, the, the, the lie. So let, let me uh, show you how it works. Let's give it a little try. Here are three statements about myself. Okay. You need to identify the lie. So I have, number one, I have visited the Golden Gate Bridge in San Francisco, California. Uh, Number two, uh, I have visited Disney World in Orlando, Florida. And number three, I have visited the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown, New York. Two of those statements are true. One of them is a lie. So you don't have to play if you don't want to, but if you're willing, uh, let's do it with a show of hands, okay? I think that's how you would do it at a party. Uh, So uh, here we go. Uh, How many people think, raise your hand, uh, I have never been to the Golden Gate Bridge, that that one's actually a lie? How many people think that's a lie? Uh, how many people think I have never been to Disney World? That I've never been to uh, down there? Good, good. And how many people think I've never been to, to Cooperstown? That I've never been to the baseball hall of fame? Thanks, a couple of hands. Good. <laughs> All right, good. It's the Disney World one. You guys are good at this game. I think I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you get it. That's right. I've never been to Disney World, and I don't know that it's leaving a big hole in my life either. I'm okay with that. But uh, the other two, we have had, my, uh, my wife and I have had the privilege of visiting. 
I start that way, have a little fun, but also because that's what John does in this passage. The Apostle John uh, plays a little game of two truths and a lie in the passage that I asked Paul to read to us. The difference, though, is that John makes no attempt to hide the lie, right? I'm supposed to, when, it's, when I'm it, when it's my turn, I'm supposed to try to fool you. But John's not trying to fool anybody. He comes right out and tells us in this passage what the lie is. In fact, he's downright blunt about it. You'll see how, well, you heard it before. He's, he's very plain and blunt in his language with the things that are not true. And he does the same thing with the truth. Uh, he plainly tells us what the truth is in this passage as well. Uh, last week, we started a new series here at our church. We started in a, a little 12-week series in 1 John. It's a relatively short book, close to the end of our Bibles. And uh, we're going to spend 12 weeks, including last week, in that book. And uh, last week, like I like to do with intro sermons, we did a little bit of background. So we talked about who the author is and some of that, you know, when it was written and so on. Uh, and, but really, I spent, after we did that intro stuff, we spent most of our time with an overview of the book talking about three themes, three major themes. I think they're the most important themes in, uh, here in 1 John, and we just kind of sketched those out last week. This morning, we're going to dig into now one of those themes, all right? So we're going to talk about sin. And last week, I told you one of the big themes of this letter, we'll keep coming back to it in different ways. One of the big themes is that we need to have the right attitude, or we need to think the right way about sin. And that's the topic in this morning's passage. In uh, verses 5 through 10, uh, he's going to talk to us. John's going to talk to us about sin. Now, the passage starts with a, a principle, right? There's a, a principle here, and it's there in verse 5. So verse 5 is just a statement. And he says, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. So what John, now John's moving into the body of the letter. Last week was the introduction. Those first four verses are the intro to the letter. He's, as he moves into the body of the letter now, he actually points back at his introduction. Right? So he points at the intro and, and he says, here's the message we have from Jesus himself. And so you might remember I talked about this last week. Uh, he really stresses that he and the other apostles were eyewitnesses, right? They're not, this isn't secondhand information. They, they saw and heard and touched Jesus themselves. And so he, he really establishes that, that he has eyewitness credibility as he comes to them with the gospel. And, and then he, he, he tells them, well, here's that message. So that's what verse 5 is doing. He says, here's that message that we got from Jesus. And so it's a kind of a big principle that's, again, going to guide us through this letter. Uh, and, it, and, and this message, here's the message we got from Jesus. It's got two parts to it, but there are two sides to the same coin. It's not saying two different things. It's saying the same thing uh, two different ways. And what, it, what the message is, is God is light. God is light, which means there's no darkness in him. Right? So there's, if you've got perfect light, then there's a complete absence of darkness, which is what he stresses. There is uh, no darkness in him at all or in any, any way or any form. So God is light. Now, let's think about that statement for just a minute. What, you know, what does that mean? What does it mean to say God is light? Because it would be an easy one to misinterpret. You could misunderstand that verse. Uh, somebody might conclude, for example, that Christians uh, were sun worshipers, right? The early Christians were sun worshipers. Look, it says right there in their Bible that God is light. Uh, if that sounds absurd to you, I actually had a college professor suggest that once. Um, I went to a secular college, and uh, I took a class one time. It was kind of a philosophy of science sort of class. 
and uh, it was really, really with a, a focus on physics. In early, uh, an early class, the professor was kind of going through what different ancient peoples thought about light. And he very kind of smugly, uh, he must have gone and borrowed somewhere a Bible, and he, he got this Bible out and he read this passage. I remember it still. He read this passage, God is light. And, and then he kind of informed us all, see, that's what the early Christians thought. Even they thought that, that you know, they were really basically just, as I said, uh, sun worshipers. I, uh, I'm still surprised I didn't hurt myself by uh, rolling my eyes. But... Uh, <laughs> Because that's not what John is saying, right? I mean, there's a little word we use, it's called symbolism, uh, metaphor. That, that's what John is doing here. This is a, a symbol. In fact, this idea of light and darkness is, is a common one, actually. You'll see it a lot. It runs through Scripture. And, and this is uh, one of those instances. But, but what's it a symbol for? That's really what we, we need to think about. What, what is it a symbol for? Uh, because there are some different options. You can find different passages where light and darkness symbolize different things. The way we're going to answer a question like that is by looking at the context, right? So this passage will tell us what John means in this passage when he says God is light. And I'm going to show you this over the next few minutes, but he's really talking about two things. So when he says God is light, he doesn't mean God is, you know, light the way a physicist talks about light. He means that God is truth and God is righteousness. So God is true and God is righteous. Those are the two things he's going to emphasize for us as, as he... Um, as he makes this statement. And, and those two issues, he kind of weaves them back and forth over the next few verses, verses 6 through 10, and actually into chapter 2 as well, it'll carry over. But God is true, and God is righteous, or holy. And that's actually key to how we're approaching this this morning, because it's key to what he says about sin. I said a minute ago there's a principle in verse 5, and here's what the principle is. The principle is that our understanding or our view of sin begins with God. Right? It begins with God's character. Sometimes we, we act as if sin is, is defined by us, right? or what's, what's bad for society, or what hurts other people. Those things are sins. It's true that sin is bad for society and it hurts other people, but that's not what defines sin. Sin is defined by God's character, which is why John begins the way that he does. Before he, he starts talking about sin, he starts with this statement about God. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So, so verse 5 is the principle, and then from verses 6 on into verse 10, where we'll stop today, he, he actually goes back and forth. He goes back and forth between lies and truth. And just to be clear, I'm not saying today that John is lying to us. John's not lying to us. John is exposing lies, right? So he's, he's going to show us lies, some lies, and he's going to show us some truth. And it's actually, it's very kind of fun to work. It was a fun passage to work with. If you look at your Bible or in your Bible app there, just look at what he's going to do. So verse 5 is the principle. And then in verse 6, there's a lie. And then verse 7 is truth. Verse 8 is a lie. Verse 9 is a truth. Verse 10 is a lie. He's going to go back and forth like this. It's very, very interesting the way he does it. And so if you count them all up, what this passage actually has is two truths and three lies. But the three lies, and I want to show you what, what I mean for the next few minutes, the three lies are actually just three forms of the same lie. They're not three different lies. They're the same lie conceived of three different ways. And so hence my approach this morning, two truths and one lie. One great big lie. That's what we're going to talk about. That's the outline for the rest of the time. I want to look with you at two truths in this passage and, like I say, one big lie. And all of them are about sin. Two truths about sin, one lie about sin. 
So let's do the lie first. Let's get that, that one out of the way. Uh, this passage exposes a lie, a big lie about sin. And, and here's what the lie is. Here's the, the summary of the three, the three different lies. Uh, the summary of it is, we don't have a sin problem. Right? That's the lie. John exposes about sin in this passage. We don't have a sin problem. Sin, what sin? Right? Sin problem, what sin problem? I don't see any sin problem. That's the lie uh, that he, he exposes. Now, it comes in three forms. Right? This, this, this back and forth that he's going to do. There are three forms this lie takes. One's in verse 6, one's in verse 8, one's in verse 10. And uh, like I say, we'll take them uh, each in turn. So three forms of the big lie. Uh, the first form, and, and I'm just going to tell you, we see these all the time. We see these in our own world. We see this in our own culture. Sometimes we see them in our own heart. Uh, and that's why we need the Holy Spirit to be sanctifying us. So, so here they are. first form the lie takes that he describes is that sin is not a problem. Sin's not a problem. All right? The things we do, they're, they're, they're not really sinful. They're fine. God's, God's cool with them. It's okay. You know, maybe, maybe some people call them sins, uh, uptight people judgmental people, right? people who, who like to impose their morality on others. They may call them sins, but they're, they're not sins. They're just the way people live. Right? It's just, just you know, you, you call it a sin, I call it a choice. I, I call it freedom, I call it self-expression. You know, it's, sin, sin's not a problem. Sin's not a problem. You may not like it, but, but I, it's, it's just who I am. Uh, that's, that's the first form that it takes. Now, he exposes this one in verse 6. First part of the verse says, uh, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. And, and let me just stop there. We're going to do that with each of these. The first half of, of the, the claim, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness. So in that phrase, John imagines, right? So he's going to spin out a hypothetical here. He actually uses a particular grammatical form. He's not saying this is happening, although as we keep reading the letter, we begin to get the sense that maybe it was happening with the people who split off, the, the antichrists who left. Uh, but, but he's not really accusing these people of doing it. He's simply kind of stating the hypothetical. And so he says, uh, he, and so he imagines people making a claim, and the claim is that they know God. Right, so they know God. They belong to Jesus. They have fellowship with him. Right? That's the language he uses. If we claim, if we say we have fellowship with him. And so they consider themselves good Christian people. Right? They're good people. Good folk. Right? Good Christian people. And Gallup calls and asks, you know, are you a Christian? Is your faith important to you? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Um, yes, I am. Yes, it is. So, so they, they see themselves as having fellowship with God. And at the same time, and that is the, the nature of how he describes this. And at the same time, they are cheerfully, openly, brazenly walking in darkness. Right? And so they are doing things that the God who is light, reaching back to chapter five, verse, verse 5, the God who is light, uh, in his word, says these things are actually darkness. Right? So, so they're saying they have fellowship with him, but they're walking in darkness. That's the scenario he paints in verse 6. And he said, where do we see that? Do, do we, does that really happen? Do we really see that in the real world? Well, yeah, we do. We see it uh, whenever professing believers affirm sinful choices, right? Whether it's their own sinful choices or, or sinful choices of others, right? And so, you know, you know the Bible says uh, abortion is sinful, 
right? Or, or premarital sex is sinful, or looking at pornography is sinful, or having an affair is sinful, or indulging same-sex attraction is sinful. I could demonstrate all of those to you with two or three minutes in Scripture with any one of them. The Bible says these things are, are sinful, but the people John imagines here, and, and we have them in our own culture. Sometimes they're pastors, Sometimes they're bloggers, sometimes they're authors with major Christian publishing houses, sometimes it's whole denominations who say, oh no, they're not. Those things aren't sins. Uh, you can be a Christian and still do those things, right? You can, you can say, I love Jesus and I love my same-sex partner. Or I love Jesus and I really love my subscription to that website that my wife doesn't really need to know about. Or, I love Jesus, and I really love this other woman. Yeah, I'm not married to her, but, um, but that, that's okay with him. He's, he's chill with it. We can say both. We can do both. John comes along in the second half of the verse and says, that's a lie. That's a lie. Anyone who tells you that is lying to you, he says. Even if they've got a collar around their neck, a clerical collar, and a, and a seminary degree hanging on their wall. If someone says it's possible for you and me to willfully walk, and that is the language he uses. We're not talking about the ongoing struggle with sin that we all have because of you know, Romans 7, we're, in, you know, we're still in the flesh even though the Holy Spirit lives within us. What he's talking about is willfully affirming and walking in sin. If someone says you can walk in sin and at the same time be in good fellowship with God, that person is lying to you. And I'm following John on the bluntness of the language. Those of you who know me know I'm not usually so blunt, right? I try to be tactful usually. Uh, but John doesn't leave me much room for tact. I mean, look what he says. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie. We lie and we do not practice the truth, he says in verse 6. So that's form number one. Uh, anyone who would say sin's not a problem, we can do those things, God's, God's okay with them, uh, that, that's a lie. Number two, the second form that lie takes, this big lie that human beings don't have a sin problem, uh, the second form it takes is that sin is gone. Right? So our sin problem is gone. So it's, it's, it's connected, but it's, it, and so that's why I'm not treating them all as separate, but, but it's another version of the we don't have a sin problem. Our sin is gone. And so the idea here is we used to. Right? We used to have a sin problem, but not anymore. So that's how this one is different with number one, uh, or the first one there. What you have here, some would call it perfectionism. Right? The, the, uh, I don't know if doctrine is the right word, but, but the idea of perfectionism. The idea is Jesus, you know, we, yes, we had a sin problem, but now we're saved, and so we don't have a sin problem anymore. It's been removed for us. And this is the one John exposes, I think, in, in, in verse 8. And so verse 8 says, verse 8 begins, if we say we have no sin. So I'll just, uh, again, stop in there. He's imagining a scenario in the first half of that sentence. Uh, if we say we have no sin. That's the claim that's being made now. And the key here to see the distinction from this one with the one before and the one that will come after, it's, it's something as simple as verb tense. Uh, he uses a present tense verb here. And so the claim he's imagining is someone who's saying, this is how I am now. I'm a, a no-sin person, right? We're no-sin people. That would be uh, another way to put it. And so they're not denying sin, that things are sinful, the things we do are sinful, the way they did in verse 6. But what they're, right, so they're not den denying that, that. What they're denying, what, what the second one is denying, is that the sins we commit have any bearing on our lives, that they have any effect on our relationship with Jesus, that they have any kind of impact on any of that. Uh, the, the idea is that the blood of Jesus has fixed it, 
and protects me. It's almost like Teflon, right? Remember, you know, that stuff they coat frying pans with sometimes. Nothing sticks to it. And that would be the idea. You know, I can do this, I can do that, but it doesn't stick. There's no consequences to my sin because the blood of Jesus has protected me from them. And so what you have here in this second one, let's try to make it more concrete. What you have here is a misapplication of the doctrine of justification by faith. I think that's what he's, he's in picturing here. And so this is someone who says, yeah, I'm justified by the work of Jesus. Right? I'm, I, I've put my faith in him, and therefore the sinful things I do don't matter anymore. I, I'm a no-sin person. I have no sin. And so it, it doesn't matter. That's really what ends up being argued. So, so where would we see this? Well, you see it in the person who was baptized as a baby and figures I'm all good now. Right? So I was baptized as a baby. Maybe I did some denomination's version of a confirmation or whatever they want to call it and check I'm good now. And now I can just go off into my life and I can do whatever it is I want to do. I'm a no-sin person because I dealt with that, right? I, I'm, I'm all good as far as that goes. But I don't, you know, we, we, you know, we low, low church evangelicals can do it too, right? It's the same thing when somebody, you know, goes to a, a revival meeting or a, you know, a Christian camp. They go to a Bethany camp or a Hidden Acres or a Raccoon River or one of those wonderful, wonderful ministries. And, you know, you sit around the campfire and you're deeply moved and you say the prayer and then you're like, good, I'm, I'm set, Right? And you come back and you're all, you're all set now. I don't have to, I can do this, I can do that. I can go back sleeping with my boyfriend or doing this or whatever it might be. Uh, that, that would be the same mentality. Why can I do those things? Because I, I'm a no-sin person. I have no sin. Jesus dealt with my sin. John's take on that? That's a lie. Right? All of verse 8, what does he say? All of verse 8. If we say we have no sin, if that's what our claim is, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And so he says, anyone who says, we have no sin, we're no sin people, uh, and, and therefore we don't have to worry about it, we don't have to think about it, we don't have to deal with it, we don't need to make uh, you know, uh, bulwarks against <clears throat> temptation and so on, anyone who would say that uh, is, <clears throat> excuse me, is lying to themselves. They're lying to themselves, they're deceiving themselves, he says, and they're, they're lying to you. Uh, he's very, again, he's very blunt. The truth is not in someone who lives that way. What's the, what does light stand for? Light stands for truth in this passage. It also stands for holiness. We'll come to that in a minute. But that means they're not walking in light. If they're telling lies to themselves, they're not walking in light. They're walking, they're walking in darkness. So that's the second form. Sin's not a problem. Sin problem is gone. The third form this lie takes uh, is the claim that we never had a sin problem in the first place. So we never, we never had a sin problem. And that's the one he exposes in, in verse 10. That's the lie he exposes if we say we have not sinned, again, I'll stop halfway through the sentence. Uh, the third claim he imagines is uh, people who basically say there is no such thing. There's, there's no such thing as sin. You don't find this one too much in churches, but sometimes you do. But this is really more of an outside of the church sort of thing. There's just no such thing. And, and I say that, again, it's a verb tense thing. In this one, uh, in verse 8, he uses a present tense. In verse 10, he uses a perfect tense. Uh, and actually, that's the only difference between the two statements. But what the perfect tense does, uh, not to get too technical, but the perfect tense describes something that's happened or a state of affairs from the past that is kind of ongoing and still affects my future condition. So present is just kind of, this is the way I am now, whereas perfect is like, this is how I've always been. This is how I was in the past, and it's how I still am now. I don't have. I, I, we have not sinned. Or as I'm putting it, we never had uh, a sin problem. There is no such thing. 
And so what do those folks say? Well, maybe you've heard this. I don't know if you took a secular college religion class, you might have heard this. Right? Sin's just a social construct. Sin's just a social construct dreamed up by people who want to control you. That's what sin is, right? They just want you to feel guilty so that they can manipulate you and control you and take your money and make you do the things they want to do. That's, that's, what, the, that's what sin is, right? You're, you're not really a sinner. A sin is just something that they made up. Uh, it's a power thing. Uh, one of the commentators I'm using to help me work through 1 John is a, a, a scholar named Karen Jobes. And uh, she actually summarizes this very well. I like her wording, so I'm going to borrow it. Uh, Jobes writes, uh, There is in modern society a rationalization about sin that prevents even the word from being used. Right? There's a, there's a rationalization that prevents the word sin from even being used. For sin implies a moral responsibility to God. Uh, wrong behavior is attributed to bad parenting, genetic propensities, or a lack of adequate education. The claim that there is a God and that violation of his moral standards is sin invites harsh social disapproval in a culture that no longer believes in absolute truth and sees any such claim as a wrongful and arrogant assertion of power, end quote. Right? Sin's just, uh, it, it, it brings disapproval. You've maybe experienced that yourself, trying to have a conversation with somebody about sin. It even raise the word and, and you make people mad. That's a, that's a good summary of the spirit of our age, right? You, you Christians are way too uptight. The world's got lots and lots of problems, but sin's not one of them. Sin's not the problem. You know, other things are the problem. That's a lie, John says. That's a lie, right? If anyone tells you that, they are lying. Verse 10. If we say, right, if you, this hypothetical, if someone says we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Right? If, if, if someone says there's no such thing as sin, that there's no moral accountability to the God of creation, that person is, is lying. In fact, this one's even stronger. It's not only that they're lying, it's that they're accusing God of being a liar. Right? That's, I mean, do you see how he, he kind of ratchets it up with each one of those verses? Uh, they, we make him a liar. We accuse him of being a liar. But remember verse 5. God's not a liar. Right? God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. So... The only liar in the room, right? If we say we've not sinned, the only liar in the room is us. We're the ones who are, who are walking in darkness instead of light. So what are we supposed to do? Right? Those, those are the lies, all summarized in this big lie. We don't have a sin problem. Those are the lies, but what's the truth? I'm glad you asked, because that's the rest of the passage. And that brings us to the two truths about sin in this passage. Uh, we start with truth number one. And uh, truth number one is that we need to be honest. We need to be honest about our sin. Don't buy the lies. That's why he spends so much time on them. Don't buy into the lies. Instead, embrace the truth. Embrace God's attitude about sin. God is light, so walk in the light. You see where he, he uses this language. Be honest about your sin. Uh, that's verse 7. That's truth number 1 here. It's found in verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all, from all sin. So verse 7 imagines a counter scenario, right? So verse, and it's, verse 7 is a reply to verse 6. And so verse 6 talks about walking in darkness, right? That's the person who's, who's, uh, who thinks it's possible, who says it's possible to be in good fellowship with God, and at the same time to be in fellowship with sin, that's a lie, verse 6. Here's the truth that counters it, verse 7. The truth is we need to do the opposite of that. 
Stop walking in darkness and start walking in the light. We need to walk in the light. And as I said a minute ago, John's using light as a symbol for two things. One of them is truth, and I think that's the one here. And so truth number one is to reject the darkness of the lies, the things that are false, and instead to, to walk in the light. And so truth number one is to, to be honest, to reject those things. And here's the good part. Right? So here's the good part about truth number one. There are two big rewards or incentives, you might call them, for walking in the light, being honest about our sin, instead of buying in all those lies. Two incentives. Uh, incentive number one is that it blesses our relationship with each other, right? We enjoy fellowship with one another. That's, that's exactly what he says. When we walk in the light, John says, we have fellowship with one another. Last week, uh, when we talked about the three big themes of this letter, I told you one of the themes, well, one of them is sin, the one we're talking about today. Another one of them is we need to have the right relationship with each other. Right? God is, you know, keep talking about loving one another in this letter a lot. We need to have the right relationship with each other. It's a big theme in this letter. Here it is, right? It's not even the main thing he's talking about, but he can't help but bring it up, right? We, we will have fellowship with each other when, when we walk in the light about sin, when we're honest about sin. We actually, and, and, and really what he's saying is we'll help each other. We will help each other with this. Instead of kind of hiding from each other and hiding life from each other, we help each other. Let me give you one example of how this works. Uh, way back when I was in college, so I kind of reaching back here a little bit, but when I was in college, I was part of a group, right? And many of you have been in groups like this. I was part of a group with three other Christian guys. Three other Christian guys were all, three, two, three of us were seniors, one of us was a junior, and we made a kind of a pact <laughs> to be, we're all Christians, and to be accountable to each other in issues of sexual purity. And uh, two of us were engaged, one was in a long-term relationship, and the other guy was really good-looking and could have had anybody he wanted. Uh, and, and so we all needed to be really pay attention to this part of our lives. It was very important for us to pay attention to this part of our lives. And so we kind of covenanted with each other to do just that. And, and we did, you know, it, it, was, it was verse 7. I thought of it as those guys. It was 25 plus years ago when I thought of those guys this week. Because we walked in the light together. Right? We did that together. We were honest with each other with our temptations. We, were, we, you know, we celebrated with each other when we did well. We were honest with each other when we failed and held each other accountable for that. And prayed for each other and got each other through it. And so we had fellowship with one another. It was, it was good for all of us. It was a helpful faith-building experience. And I think that's the sort of thing. It's not the only one. It's just but one example. But it's the sort of thing John's talking about when he says we will have fellowship with one another. It's a little striking. You expect him to say fellowship with God, but he says fellowship with one another precisely because of this dynamic. And you say, well, you know, college students do crazy things, but uh, you don't have to be in college to, to enter into kind of, and, 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 and I'm not even only sexual purity issues, but all kinds of issues. We can be accountable to each other. We can pray for each other. That's why we have small groups and we emphasize them here in our church. Uh, yes, you get together in your small group to study scripture, but you also get there to hold each other accountable and pray for each other and help each other in your marriages and your workplaces and all the other stuff we, we, we do, all those other relationships we have. And, and, and so it's important. It's important to do those things. Youth group, you know, I think it's, you know, many of you students, this is why youth group is so important. You really help each other at that key time in life by, by being part of that community uh, together and helping each other find Jesus. And so fellowship grows. It's a big incentive, a big reward about being honest with each other about the struggles that we have, not just pretending we have no sin or we don't have a sin problem. Uh, the other incentive he identifies 
is that now we get into the gospel, right? The last, basically, everything else I have to say, we really wade deep into the gospel now. The other incentive is that Jesus cleanses us from all our sin, right? That's the other thing he talks about in, in that verse. And so uh, if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, verse 5, God is light and in him there's no darkness, we have fellowship with one another, we just talked about that one, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So that's what happens when we walk in the light. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So here's what that means. It means that we also need to be honest with God. We need to be honest with God to access his grace. Right? We need to walk in the light, not just before each other, but before him, too. God loves sinners. God loves sinners. Oh, does he love sinners. And thank God, thank you that he does, right? Thank God that he loves sinners. He will never turn you away. He will never turn us away when we come to him with our sin. But we do need to come to him with our sin, right? Some people live and act as if God just forgives us automatically. That's really that middle one. I don't know if I communicated it as clearly as I might have, but really that middle one we talked about of the three lies is really just the idea that he just forgives me automatically. It's just a done deal all the time anyway. But almost as if he owes it to us. But he doesn't owe it to us. He forgives us because we ask. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. That's what this passage is saying when it says walk in the light, bring it into the light. I actually like how a guy named Paul Tripp put it. Um, I actually saw this on Twitter this week. Paul Tripp, he's a Christian author, and uh, he posted this to Twitter. It was a refreshing, uh, non-toxic statement on Twitter. Uh, here's what he tweeted. Uh, it was perfect. It was like, wow, that's my sermon this week. He said, owning the tragedy of your own sin, bringing it into the light, owning it, owning the tragedy of your own sin is the only doorway to entering into the wonder of God's amazing grace. Owning the tragedy of your own sin is the only doorway to entering into the wonder of God's amazing grace. The Lord will forgive us. It says so right there. He will cleanse us from all our sins. But we need to come to him. We need to be honest with him about our sin. And, and that leads right into the second truth. The second truth in the passage is we therefore need to confess. We need to confess our sin to God. And, and this is where the restoration takes place. Yes, it's, it's important to be honest with ourselves, it's important to be honest with each other, but most important of all, it's in, most important of all, we need to be honest with God. We need to be honest with him about our sin by confessing our sin to him. And that's the one he talks about in verse 9. He says, if we confess our sin, uh, he is, and again, it's, a, it's one of these hypotheses, there's five if statements in a row, right? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so once again, he's countering the lie from the previous verse, right? So verse 8 imagines a scenario uh, where we claim we're sinless, right? So, so you have verse 6 is a lie, verse 7 answers it. Uh, verse 8 is a lie, verse 9 answers it. So verse 8, we're sinless. That's, that's wrong. That's deceiving ourselves. Here's the truth. We have sin, but we confess it. We confess our sins to God, and when we do that, he takes care of them for us. And that's what that word confess means. Confess means, uh, it, it's actually, it, it simply means to acknowledge or admit something. Right? So you can acknowledge or admit other things. There's actually verses that talk about confessing Jesus as Lord. Same word, acknowledging Jesus as Lord. Here, in this context, confession is used in terms of sin. Right? So acknowledging, admitting sin. So if we try to hide our sin or deny our sin, like some of those lies we're doing, to, if we do that, we're living in darkness. 
But if we acknowledge our sin and admit it to God, we're walking in the light. And when we walk in the light, that's where the cleansing happens, right? The, the, this is one of the symbolisms of the light. The light comes in and just scours the darkness away, and the Lord forgives us. And, and John actually is going to point again to God's character. Remember that big idea I put out at the beginning, right? Our view of sin starts with God's character, which is why John goes back to God's character in verse 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just. Faithful to whom? I think the answer is faithful to himself. You want, you want to say, well, he's faithful to me, but it's actually it's, he's merciful to me, but, but he's faithful to himself, right? In what sense? Well, God, is, his word tells us he's merciful. He's compassionate. He takes pity on us. He's gracious, right? He promises to forgive those who ask for forgiveness. You see it all over the place in the Old Testament. And so when we ask for forgiveness, he's faithful. He's faithful to his own promises, and he grants us that forgiveness. He's also just. And again, just with whom? With whom is he just when he forgives us? Well, the answer is just with himself. And that's the cross, right? That's the cross. Jesus said in verse 5, God is light, and in him there's no darkness. That also means God is holy. He's righteous. He's, he's perfect. He's morally perfect. In, 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 he's true in that sense as well. And so when you and I confess our sin, what happens? God brings the perfection of Christ, the moral perfection, the sinlessness of Christ. He brings it to bear on us, and he applies it to us. And verse 7, he cleanses us. He cleanses us from all sin by the blood of of Jesus Christ. See, light, he's mixing his metaphors all over the place. It's one of the things that makes John, John fun. He's, bringing about the, he's talking about the blood of Jesus, but really what he's talking about is that light from verse 5. Light always drives out darkness. Light always drives out darkness, and that's what God's holiness does to the stain of our sin. He washes it away. He washes it away. And that's why we need to confess it, just like verse 9 says. We need to confess to him. And when we do, when we do, he washes that stain away. There's a group, it's a mouthful, it's called the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity. It's a great group, it's a Christian group, I recommend them. Look them up if you're interested in those issues. Uh, the Center for Bioethics and Human Dignity, they posted an article a few weeks ago, I think it was in December. Uh, the article was called, Get This Thing Out of My Chest. Get this thing out of my chest. Uh, the article described a, a dilemma that about 2,000 Americans, so not a big group, but that's a bunch of people, 2,000 Americans are living with. And what these folks are living with is that they all received a specific brand from a specific manufacturer of an internal, uh, an internal heart pump. And so they had some kind of serious heart trouble. They were having, suffering from some form of heart disease. And it was serious enough that the solution for them was to install an internal pump right? And, and uh, I think there's an, out, an exterior component that kind of straps on them, but there's this pump inside their chest cavity. And according to this article I was reading, this pump, and again, it's not all pumps. I don't want to make anybody scared if, you're, um, if, if you, uh, you know, have a heart pump or something. Uh, it's just one specific brand from one specific manufacturer, but that specific model has been recalled. Uh, the FDA figured out it's actually not helping. It's hurting people more than it's helping them. It makes them prone to strokes, uh, more prone to strokes, more prone to heart attacks, the very thing the thing is supposed to prevent. And so the FDA issued, uh, after a few years of kind of watching how it worked, uh, they issued a, a recall. Now, if you have a recall on your car, you just bring it to the dealer, right? Maybe that's inconvenient. Maybe you've got to drive, you know, another car for a few days or a couple weeks or whatever. But what do you do when there's a recall on something inside of you? What do you do? Well, that's the dilemma. 
That's the dilemma these folks are facing. You say, well, just have it replaced. Uh, but that's the problem, right? I mean, some of them are in ill health. That's why they needed the heart pump. And that's a major surgery. And, and so uh, some of them are, are literally not strong enough to have that pump replaced. And, but even the ones who are stronger, you know, are, are generally healthy aside from that issue, even those folks are in a place where that's a major surgery. And, and so they're having to, that's the dilemma. You know, what do I do about that? I mean, they could have the surgery, but that might be even worse than just leaving it in. And, and so it's this kind of bioethical, it's this ethical dilemma these, these, these folks are living with. Something inside of them, something they thought was good, is actually dangerous to them. It's a tragedy, right? It's a, I, mean, I mean, no way trying to use these people or something or, or make light of it. Certainly not. It's a tragedy. They're living with it. But when I saw that, I thought that's also a very good picture of the spiritual problem that everybody has. Not just a few thousand, but everybody, right? It's the problem we all, every human being on earth, we all have a problem inside of us, right? A dangerous problem. The problem is called sin. The solution is radical surgery, a heart surgery, right? It's a radical surgery, and the only qualified surgeon is named Jesus Christ. He's the only one who can help us with our sin problem. So don't buy those lies. They, they are pervasive in our culture, sometimes even in churches, but don't buy them. We do have a sin problem, but we also have a sin solution. And the solution is to be honest about our sin and to bring it to Jesus Christ and let him cleanse us and wash it away. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, we thank you so much for the hope we have in the gospel. Every single one of us in this room and watching online uh, struggles with sin. And I would just want to ask for myself and each one of us that you would help us to resist the temptation of these different lies, uh, to become accommodationists with the sin in our lives, to just figure, well, that's just who we are and God's okay with it, and help us to not have that mentality, to not buy into that, uh, to remember your grace, to remember your mercy, but also to remember your holiness, as we sang of before. Uh, we pray, Lord, you would help us to, to walk in the light and not in the darkness in this area of our lives, that we might be growing in godliness, growing in righteousness, growing in holiness, uh, growing in our fellowship with one another, and in our fellowship with you. This we ask in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ.